The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Would you pray with me? Lord, we have so much to, um, to sing about uh, this morning. Um, so we thank you for your love for us. Uh, we thank you for the truth that we sang today. That our sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, our sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. So Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your sacrifice for us. This morning as we open your word, we ask for your understanding. We ask for you to meet with us. Lord, if... If we've come here today just to hear from a man, just to hear from a human, we, um, we are wasting our time. Lord, we've come here today to meet with you, to hear from you. So Lord, speak clearly um, to us now. We love you. We thank you for this time together. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a couple things before we get started. Um, one, uh, there is a, uh, there's a Bible study that meets here uh, on Mondays, every other Monday. They're meeting tomorrow, actually, uh, from 10.15, I think I have that right, to 12.30, uh, right over here in this area. It's Moms of Tots. It's a bunch of moms uh, who get together and have a Bible study together, and uh, it's a fantastic thing, and, and uh, there's a lot of ladies that come to that who aren't involved in, in our church, and uh, so it's a great outreach we have, but um, we need people to volunteer to watch those kids from 10:15 to 12:30, just every other week. Uh, and tomorrow is is uh, is we're in need of a couple of volunteers. So if you can volunteer once, and and uh, then that's fantastic. If you can kind of get on a rotation, that'd be great too. Uh, but if you're interested in that, you can see uh, my wife. She's down here um, on the front row. She's the prettiest woman in the room, so it should be hard to find her. All right, so you can come talk to her. We've been to uh, the um, Student Life Conference this weekend uh, with the students. Um, we, uh, we spent Friday night, Saturday night. Some of them are back there, and uh, they will be nodding off pretty quick. Uh, so one of them is asleep now. Fantastic. So anyway, uh, we had a great time this weekend with them. One of the things I picked up was uh, from J.D. Greer, a pastor out of North Carolina, South, one of the Carolinas. Uh, and he said in his church, they believe that um, to get dozy or drowsy uh, during a sermon is a sign of demon possession. And so what they uh, tell their members to do, I'm going to tell you to do this this morning, if your neighbor starts to nod off, you have the permission uh, of this church, and, and, uh, and, and I think I can speak on behalf of all the elders here, to put your hand on their forehead and to scream as loud as you can, out demon of drowsiness, right? And just cast that demon out, all right? And we're, we'll, uh, we'll be all right if we can do that today. So we had a great weekend in... Um, but I'm glad to be back with you. We've, we've been in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, and so if you have a Bible, go ahead and, uh, and grab that and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some under your, um, under your chairs there. You can follow along there. We're towards the end of 1 Thessalonians. And, and we've been talking about community relationships. That's what we've been talking about. We in the body of Christ, how we relate to one another, uh, what our roles are uh, together, um, and, and all of that. And the big idea we've been discussing over the past three weeks has been that each follower 
follower of Jesus is responsible for the peace within the body of Christ. You are individually responsible for the peace within the body of Christ. It's not just up to me. It's not just up to the other pastors. It's not just up to the elders, Sunday school teachers, whatever. It's up to you, all of us. Uh, we are responsible for the peace within the body of Christ. And so we covered, uh, the first week we covered relationships between leadership and church members. We spent the last couple of weeks discussing relationships between church people and our responsibilities to one another. Remember, we are called to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all, see that no one repays evil for evil, but seek to always do good to everyone. And again, this is not written just to the church professionals, right? The professional Christians. These are written to all of us, right? We have those responsibilities. But this week, Paul's going to turn a little bit, and he's going to turn his focus away from community responsibilities to individual responsibilities. So would you follow along with me there? First Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Look at the end of verse 18, it says, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So this is for believers. Why is this only for believers? Because believers are the only ones found in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, right? So therefore, he enables us to pray without ceasing, to have joy always, to give thanks in all circumstances. You can't do this without him. And I want to spend the rest of the day exploring these three imperatives and what do they really mean and what do they mean for our lives. But a quick observation is this is that if being with Christ is the only way that we can do these things, that we can have joy always, we can pray constantly, we can give thanks in all situations, then the inverse is true. That without Christ, they're impossible. So do you know what that means? That those without Christ are unable to rejoice always, meaning they will experience deep and unending despair. It means that those without Christ are unable to pray without ceasing, meaning they'll experience profound loneliness and abandonment. It means that those without Christ are unable to always give thanks, meaning they'll experience an all-consuming discontentment and panic. Now think of your loved ones without Jesus, your family members, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers. They'll experience unending despair, profound loneliness, terrifying panic. Maybe some of you are thinking like, I was going to save the whole talk about Jesus thing till, you know, maybe towards the end of their life, you know, maybe I'll catch them in the hospital on the way out, you know, maybe, maybe I'll get that deathbed thing, because I don't want them to go to hell. The reality is, this is their life, unending despair, profound loneliness, panic, they're probably experiencing a profound hell today. Don't wait. Bring this hope to your family, to your friends, right? Speak of it, all right? Bring this to each other. So why do we need to talk about this? This seems pretty easy, right? Joy, prayer, thanksgiving. We've all done those, right? We've all experienced joy, right? I, I've experienced great joy. One of, my, one of the greatest joys I've ever experienced was, uh, has been baptizing students, people that the Lord's put in my path and, and the Lord's changed their life and they turned from death to life. That's a, that's a great joy. Some of you have experienced great joys too when you were first saved or, or serving in the church or the birth of your child or your wedding day or when your newborn slept through the night for the first time. Do you understand those types of joys? Some of you, you've all experienced prayer on Tuesday nights. 
we pray from 6 to 7 in here. So we've all experienced prayer. You, you prayed before at church, right? We make you, right? Before dinner, when maybe when uh, you get a medical bill you weren't expecting, a prayer just pops out of your mouth. When the IRS says, guess what? You're audited again. Maybe that's the time you pray. Maybe when your wife asks you, does this dress make me look fat? And you actually answer, right? There's a prayer that might follow that. And we've all experienced prayer. We've all experienced Thanksgiving, right? When someone in the church uh, uh, gives me a gift or my wife a gift, we're always so appreciative and grateful. And and there's no response, but just Thanksgiving. We're just so glad that God would minister uh, to us through our family and the church. And maybe you do too. You get a bonus at work. There's Thanksgiving. Your child actually cleaned their room. I'm not talking about pushed up under the bed. They actually put things in drawers. Don't worry about what they put in the drawers, but they're in drawers, all right? That's Thanksgiving. Maybe you caught all green lights to work when you're late, right? There's Thanksgiving in those moments. What's so difficult about this? Like church over, we got this, right? What's difficult are the qualifiers. It says this, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. You've rejoiced, but do you rejoice always? Did you rejoice when the 49ers lost the Super Bowl? I know, that's painful for some of you, all right? Oh, you did. All right, so he had money on the Ravens. All right, uh, did you rejoice when you got in your first real fight as husband and wife and then remembered, till death do us part? Did you rejoice when you didn't get that acceptance letter from the college you wanted? Did you rejoice when you lost your house? Did you rejoice when your spouse got sick? Do you rejoice, but have you done it always? You pray, but do you pray without ceasing? You pray without ceasing at work or, or while you're at lunch with a friend or on your honeymoon or while in traffic? You pray, but do you pray without ceasing? Do you, uh, you give thanks, but in all circumstances? When the bill collector called again for the third time in this hour, did you give thanks? When the car died for good this time, I'm pretty sure, right? When the wheels falls off, that's a bad sign. When your day at work was so mundane, you don't even remember it. You know what I'm talking about? You get home and your spouse goes, how was your day? And you're like, I, where did I go just now, right? Did you give thanks? When all your kids are sick and you haven't slept more than two consecutive hours, have you given thanks in all circumstances? What does this really mean? That's what we're going to be talking about today. Before we continue, I want to reassure you this. You can do these things in Christ Jesus. I don't want you to hear this and go like, I'm done, right? Like rejoice always. Nope. Okay, like Grant, that's you. I'll let you do that. I'm going to stay over here. I'm going to rejoice sometimes, right? Like that's just too difficult. You can do this in Christ. He promises you that in Philippians 4. He will strengthen you to do this. So please don't throw your hands up. By the grace of God, we're going to explore these three uh, verses and unpack their rich meaning. And, and I hope there'll be a cool drink of water for some of you this morning. Let's start with rejoice always. Why did Jesus die for you? Why did he redeem you? Why does he call you to follow him? Why does he call you to be obedient? Do you want the answer? Joy. Joy, joy, joy. Down in my heart. Where? Joy, right? That's why he called you. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Believing and trusting Jesus brings what? It brings joy. 1 Peter 1, 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, uh, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Loving the Lord brings you what? Joy. Jesus faced the cross for what? For joy. 
Hebrews chapter 12, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. God is not a cosmic killjoy. He's a killer of things that kill your joy. God has called you to what? Joy. He's commanding it here in the scriptures. Rejoice always. It sounds great, doesn't it? In the greatest of days, I can rejoice. In the darkest of days, I can rejoice. That sounds awesome. I want to be a part of that. But how do we do that? I think the answer is right here in the scripture. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. What's the result of praying without ceasing? Joy. What's the result of giving thanks in all circumstances? Joy. So I I don't think you can separate these imperatives. In fact, Paul didn't. When you go to Philippians chapter 4, he talks about this again, and he doesn't separate it. Look at this. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Look down at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. We see it all again here together. So to understand how we can rejoice always, we need to understand praying without ceasing and giving thanks in all circumstances. What do those mean? Well, the prayer without ceasing, let's tackle that one first. What it isn't, it's not a lot of words. Just because you say a lot of words, it doesn't equal a prayer. Jesus said this in Matthew 6. He said, when you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating the words again and again. That's not praying without ceasing. That's just being annoying, all right? That's not praying without ceasing. Uh, A time set aside for prayer. That's not exactly praying without ceasing. It doesn't, what God's not calling you to, he's not calling you to lock yourself in a prayer closet for the rest of your life, right? He's not saying 24-7, you need to go get away from everybody else and just pray until I come and get you, all right? That's not what he's calling you to. Should you set time aside for prayer? Absolutely you should. Corey Tim, uh, Tim Boom said this, don't pray when you feel like it, have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. A man is powerful on his knees. You should set time aside set time aside for prayer, but is that what praying without ceasing is? No. It's not constant talking to God either. You don't have to constantly just be talking to him all the time, and as soon as you stop, oh, no, I'm sinning, I'm in prayer, you'd be incredibly weird and very unproductive, right? You're just talking to God, talking to God, hey, God, everything's cool, everything's cool. Hey, look, the lights are on, God. I'm praying without ceasing, and your boss comes to you. Hey, did you get that report? I'm sorry, God, I got to talk to my boss real quick. But I can't talk to you. Now I'm sinning. I talked to you, boss. Now I'm sinning. Thanks a lot. You'd be incredibly unproductive and incredibly bizarre. So what is it? Here's what I believe it is. Praying without ceasing is constant communion with God. What does that mean? Sounds fancy, but what does that mean? Communion is intimate fellowship. So it's a constant fellowship with with God. What's required? For constant fellowship, what's required? Constant presence. You can't fellowship without presence, right? And this is harder for us to understand presence in our modern age because technology has changed what presence means, right? I can be present without standing right in front of you now and, and, the, and the, the technology we have. You can call me, and I'm present. You can text me, you can email me, tweet me, Facebook me, right? There's all kinds of things that you can do. And if you didn't understand half the words I said, just ask your, your kids, right? Like, they'll explain it, all right? But you can do all kinds of things like that, and that's like kind of a new way of presence. But the point is this. That's a form of presence. The point is this, is that you can't have constant fellowship without constant presence, But does constant fellowship equal constant conversation? Because we define fellowship in the church. How do we define it? Like talking and hanging out, like eating usually, right? Those are, you can't, did you fellowship? Well, we talked. We didn't eat, so no, 
right? You want to go fellowship? Who you want to fellowship with? The Italians or like Mexicans or Chinese food? What do you want? Who you want to fellowship with? Right? You just got you got to eat and you got to talk. Right? Is that constant fellowship? Think about it in your own life. Think about your relationship. Maybe you're married. Think about your relationship with your spouse. Does constant fellowship with your wife mean constant conversation? Well, depending on who you're married to. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Not me though. I not me. Right? I love you. Uh, let me give you some examples about what it, what it does mean. I'll, I'll give you an example from, from our relationship. Sometimes fellowship does mean conversation. Sometimes it means silence. I used to think um, when I'd see people at restaurants and they would, they'd be out eating and, uh, and they weren't talking. You know, you see married couples and they, they just weren't talking, they're just eating. I used to think that's the saddest thing in the world. Like, I hope my marriage never gets there, right? But then I realized the wisdom in it. Sometimes the greatest gift I can give my wife is to shut up for like one minute (laughs) all right that was way too many amens for that we need we need to bring that back a little bit all right tommy edit that out of the recording that's embarrassing all right no but here's what i mean sometimes seriously like sitting there and just having a meal with my wife just being with her is great and it's fellowship i just need to be with her right Sometimes our fellowship, um, there's crying. I remember one time in my life, I was just overwhelmed um, at this church I was serving at. And just overwhelmed by, by some situations happening and some people and relationships. And um, people are messy, right? And I was just weeping. I just broke down. I just couldn't take it. I was just weeping. And my wife sat there and she wept with me. And that was our fellowship. She didn't say anything. She just wept. And that was our fellowship. Sometimes there's even arguing in our fellowship, right? I'm Like, I always lose, but we argue, right? So here's the point. What's the point of this? Quite simply, I mean this. Constant communion with God, constant fellowship with God means that in every area of your life, you what? You simply live your life with Him. Everything I just described is what? Living life with my wife, right? There's conversation, there's silence, there's arguing, there's crying, there's laughing, right? Same thing, just live your life with God. We forget to live our lives with God. Isn't that crazy? But we do that. It's crazy because, you know, the world exists because of him. Colossians 1, the sun comes up because of him. The rains fall because of him. Matthew 5, we live and we move and we have our being because of him. Acts chapter 17, but is anybody with me? Sometimes you get to the end of the day and you go, oh, hey, God, what's up? Is anybody else like that? Am I the only one? Or sometimes you come to church and, and you got all dressed up right and you got your Bible together and all this stuff, got your hair all right, you're smelling nice, and you sit down and we start praying. And you go, oh, yeah, I'm here to meet with you, aren't I? We just forget. We forget to live our lives before God. I don't want to forget him. I don't want that. I don't want to miss that constant communion with him. I want to laugh with him. I want to cry with him. I want him everywhere, so I don't want to miss that joy. So, so how do we do it? I don't want to miss it. How do we do it? How do we not miss it? Number one, remember that circumstances can never remove his presence. Circumstances can never remove his presence. What do you need for constant communion? Constant presence. And no circumstance can remove his presence. So if we want to be sure of communion, we need to be sure of his presence, and you can be. Let's be honest. There are circumstances that happen in our lives that just don't feel like he can be present, right? They just don't feel that way. 
I want us to look at Philippians chapter 4. Paul knew the presence of the Lord was with him in any situation. Look at Philippians 4 verse 12. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He learned. I can be poor. I can be rich. I can be hungry. I can be full. I can have more than I know what to do with. Or I can be begging, right? The Lord's with me. And he strengthens me. He's with me. You need healing? He's there. You're in the hospital? Guess what? He is too. Are you hungry? He's right there with you. Are you laying in bed trying to get used to sleeping without your spouse maybe after 40 years? He's with you. You excited in that ultrasound room when they say, hey, there's two in there? He's excited too. He's with you. There's no circumstance that can remove his presence. None. I know it doesn't always feel that way, but listen, feelings are fickle and truth is not. So listen to the truth. No circumstance can separate you from the presence of God. And you say, well, why? Like, why? Sometimes I get in pretty bad circumstances and it's my fault. Why in the world would he not remove his presence? Because he loves you. Romans 8.38 says, I'm sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If your circumstances can't remove his love, then neither can they remove his presence. King David illustrated this pretty beautifully in Psalm 139. I read this to you, and maybe this is how you feel. Listen, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me by night, and even in darkness is not dark to you, the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. You can't escape him. Jesus promised that, he said, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. How do we have constant communion with God? We live our lives with God, how? Remember, circumstances can't remove his presence. And secondly, remember, you can't remove his presence, but you can resist his fellowship. Can you have constant presence without constant fellowship? Uh, The way, um, maybe some of you, the, the way you fight with your spouse, maybe you have different styles, right? I'm not talking about like jujitsu versus karate, all right? But maybe you have different styles, and, and like, like Angela, when she gets upset, she wants to talk about it, like immediately. You know what I mean? Like, you hurt my feelings. Here are three bullet points, right? And she wants to talk about it. Like, I'm the complete opposite. You hurt my feelings. Goodbye, right? Like, I just want, I just need to get away. I just want to walk away. And so there have been times in our marriage, we've literally been fighting, and I'm like, I'm done, talk. I'm not doing this, right? Like, I didn't like bullet point two, right? And I'll walk away, and she's right there. Like, she's right behind me. You're not walking away from me, right? And, like, I just, I don't know. Like, why don't people put deadbolts on their bedroom door? I don't know. Like, and so I'm just like, oh, Angela, I don't want to talk, right? I have constant presence, believe me, right? Like, she is there. Is that fellowship, though? No, I'm not talking to her. I'm not listening to her, right? I'm singing a song in my head, right? Is that constant fellowship? No, but there's presence there but I've resisted her fellowship. 
You can have constant presence without constant fellowship. How do we resist God's fellowship? Would you turn to James chapter 4? James chapter 4. I want you to look at verse 6 with me. Turn to James chapter 4 verse 6. Bible drill. I don't have time for you. Let's go. Hurry it up. Verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says God opposes or resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. How do we resist God's fellowship according to verse 6? Our pride. God is near, but through our pride, we push him away. Now, pride shows up in different ways. But James sums up what resisting God's fellowship because of pride looks like in verse 7. And we're going to see the definition of resistance in pride as the inverse of this verse. Check out verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. So pride is what? Not submitting to God. It's a daily doing whatever I want to do. A student this weekend had a profound understanding uh, the Lord gave him some, some pretty awesome clarity. He said, you know, when I thought about pride, I always thought it meant that, like, I'm better, right? That I'm great, right? But he said, I got a new understanding of pride this weekend. It's, it's not just thinking you're great. It's thinking that you know best. Thinking that you know what's best for you. It's profound, right? That's absolutely profound. So the opposite of pride is to submit yourself to God. So if we don't want pride, we need to submit ourselves to God. And this is a daily process. Jesus promised us this. He said in Luke 9, he says, if you want to follow me, then you have to deny yourself and take up your cross how many times? Daily and follow me. He says we have to crucify, kill our pride daily. We have to kill the I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. We have to kill that every day. Now listen, I've never seen a crucifixion. Anybody? I wouldn't raise your hand. You'd probably get arrested right but i've never seen a crucifixion i've never seen someone led to their death i'm glad i have it but i haven't seen that so i don't i don't know but i have to assume that if someone's being marched to their death maybe they're resisting a little bit you know what i'm saying maybe maybe there's a maybe there's a little like i'm not nope right you know what i mean like maybe they're trying to slow it down just a little bit i would you lead me to my death right like you're dragging me out to to kill me I'm going to kick, I'm going to scream, I'm going to bite, I'm going to spit, I'm going to insult your mama, right? Like, I am not, I'm not going down easy, all right? Here's the result, here's the reality. Every day to protect my communion with God, my living, my life with Him and my joy, I have to drag myself, pride and all, kicking and screaming to death. That's difficult, that's not easy. When someone disrespects me, I have to drag my vengeance to the cross and nail it there. When I look at my time and, I, and how I need to prioritize it, I have to drag my desire to be comfortable to the cross and I got to nail that thing down. When I see a need that I don't want to meet, I have to nail the part of me that wants to be first to the cross. and I have to let that thing die. It's not easy, not in the least bit. How do we do it? When they lead someone to execution, do they kind of prepare for the fact that they might resist? Yeah. Handcuffs, shackles, guards. They don't just say, hey, at the end of the hallway there is a little room. Could you lock yourself in there and maybe turn the gas on? Doesn't happen. They know they're going to resist. So they prepare for it in the same way. Prepare to fight your pride. Every day you're going to fight it when you wake up. Be ready for it. Be ready for it. If pride shows up at work as you don't want to submit to your boss, then plan ways to serve your boss. Kill pride by replacing it with righteousness. If pride shows up in something that you, you do that you're thanked for, then do something that's thankless. If, if pride shows up in your marriage and how you treat your spouse, find a godly example of a husband or a wife and learn from them. 
If, if pride shows up in how you use your resources, then be incredibly generous. If pride runs rampant in your heart, then have accountability and confess it to your brother or your sister immediately. When we die to ourselves, when we kill our pride, when we submit to God's ways of doing things, look at the reward. Look at James 4. Look at verse 8. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Constant communion with God is our reward. So through praying without ceasing, we have constant communion with God, living our lives before him, not separating anything out, not saying this part's mine, this part's yours. No, no, no. You're always with me, always aware of his presence, always aware he's with me, and just living my life with him. What's the result? Joy. Joy. So the first step to joy is pray without ceasing, a constant communion with God, knowing he's always with me. The second thing is give thanks in all circumstances. What, what isn't giving thanks in all circumstances? Number one, it's not a constant Thanksgiving dinner table exercise, right? Sometimes we think of giving thanks, it's just, you know, you go around the table, thanks for mom, thanks for my dog, right? Like, thanks that my cat didn't come back. You know what I mean? Like, we think of it that way. That'd be exhausting if that's what that meant, give thanks in all circumstances. I'd run out of stuff, right? Like, thanks for my spleen. I don't know. I, I just would, I'd run out of stuff. But that's not what it means. Or, or it's also not giving thanks for everything. That makes sense? My wife is incredibly thankful for being pregnant. She was not thankful for the fact that while pregnant, every time she sneezed, she peed a little, right? I love you. Maybe you're thankful that the Lord allowed you to live to an age to have great grandkids, but you're not thankful that because you're at this age now, you eat more medicine than food on a daily basis. You understand? It's not being thankful for everything. So what is it? What does it mean to give thanks in all circumstances? Here's what it means. Listen to me very carefully. In all circumstances, God is always good and therefore worthy of thanksgiving and worship. Let me say this again. In all circumstances, God is always good, always, and therefore worthy of thanksgiving and worship. So if prayer without ceasing means a constant communion with God, then giving thanks in all circumstances means a constant awareness of God's goodness. In all circumstances, a constant awareness of God's goodness. In all circumstances, he's good and deserves thanksgiving. You tell me that. In all circumstances. There are children at St. Jude right now with cancer. Some won't leave. Is he good? Yes. I'm bankrupt. Is he still good? Yes. I'm abandoned by my loved ones. My family's written me off. Is he still good? Yeah. I'm overwhelmed by my addictions. Is he still good? Yeah. My spouse is gone. Is he still good? Yes. Singleness is smothering me with loneliness. And I'm afraid. Is he still good? You might say, how in the world can you say that? Well, I say it by the truth of the scriptures of the word of God. And let me show it to you real quick. One, I know that he's good because he's God. Mark chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Everyone is plagued with sin. None of us are good. That's what Romans 3 tells us. It says, no one's righteous. No, not one. Not a single one of us are good. We're not righteous. God isn't, God isn't everyone. No one's good. But God's just not nobody, right? 
God isn't everybody else. He's holy. He's perfect. He's set apart. He's different. He's unmatched. In Revelations 4, 8, it says, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around. And within and day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. He has angels designed to worship him. He is the definition of good. There is no good outside of God. He's God. The second thing, he's proven it. He's proven he's good. Psalm 86, 5. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. The, for, the forgiveness of God displays his goodness. Romans 5, 6 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. He displayed his goodness on the cross, paying our penalty for us. When I face tragedy of the deaths of friends or financial difficulties or personal crises, he reminds me that the cross stands forever proclaiming his goodness. Forever. And he says, trust me, I'm good. Trust me, I forgave you. I'm good. Trust me, I rescued you. I'm good. I died for you. I'm good. He proves his love through his goodness. Corey Tinboom wrote this. She said, um, Often I've heard people say how good God is. We pray that it would not rain for our church picnic and look at the lovely weather. Yes, God is good when he sends good weather. But God was also good when he allowed my sister Betsy to starve to death before my eyes in a German concentration camp. I remember one, con one occasion when I was very discouraged there. Everything around us was dark and there was darkness in my heart. I remember telling Betsy that I thought God had forgotten us. No, Corey, said Betsy. He's not forgotten us. Remember his word. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him. Amen. Corey concludes with this. There's an ocean of God's love available. There's plenty for everyone. May God grant you never to doubt that victorious love, whatever the circumstances. He's proven his love for us. But listen to this. He continues to prove it. He continues to prove it. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What does that mean? It means that God doesn't waste your sufferings. It doesn't mean that, it means that he doesn't just let you suffer and say, oh man, I hope he makes it. He doesn't waste it. He uses it and he molds you through it. He's at work in them. Romans 5, he tells us, he says, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces what? Endurance. Endurance produces character, character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God loves has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. God never wastes our sufferings. He can use them to grow us. When Peter was called out of the boat to Jesus and he began to sink because he doubted Jesus' power, do you think that was a moment and a lesson that he forgot? Do you think that, that that didn't shape him and change him and grow him? It absolutely did. When Jonah was left stuck inside of this whale's stomach, right? Just covered in all the stuff, right? For not obeying God. Do you think that after he was vomited out on shore that he forgot the consequences of quickly dismissing the guidance of God? I don't think so. I think that was a growing moment for Jonah. When I got my heart broken by a girl for the first time, I learned a valuable lesson about the constant and sufficient love of Christ. When my friends were killed by a drunk driver, I learned the comfort of God in a way I didn't know before. God uses it to grow us, but he also uses it to grow others. When Paul's prison cell was just, just busted wide open and the jailer saw the joy of Paul as he sat there faithful, not, not moving, not escaping, the jailer came to know Christ. When I watched a friend of mine desperately cling to Christ in the loss of his bride, I held tighter as well. 
When I went to Honduras and I saw the generosity of those who have nothing, the Lord started to sever some materialism out of my life. Because God is good, he never wastes our suffering. What's the result of constantly being aware of God's goodness? Joy. One of God's missionaries, Alan Gardner, experienced many physical difficulties and hardships through his service to the Savior. Despite his troubles, he said this, While God gives me strength, failure will not daunt me. In 1851, at the age of 57, he died of disease and starvation while serving on an island at the southern tip of South America. When his body was found, his diary um, lay nearby. It bore the record of hunger, thirst, wounds, loneliness. The last entry in his little book showed the struggle of a shaking hand as he tried to write legibly. Listen to what it said. This is the last entry. He starved to death. Listen to what it said. I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. What joy. So when we pray without ceasing, or are in constant communion with God, living our lives before Him, remembering that He's always with us. And when we give thanks in all circumstances, because, you know what, I'm constantly aware that no matter what happens, God is good. He's with me, and He's good. What's the result? I can rejoice always. I can rejoice always. Because joy is not happiness. It's deeper than that, right? My pastor growing up, Dr. Rogers, he said this, happiness is like a thermostat. It registers conditions. Joy, uh, or excuse me, happiness is like a thermometer. It registers conditions. Joy is like a thermostat. It controls them. Circumstances and conditions can change, and so does our happiness. But joy never changes. Why? Because the object of my joy will never change. My God was, he is, and he is to come. And I don't care what happens here. I don't care what happens to me. That doesn't change who he is. He's good and he'll always be good. And you know what? When I leave this planet, whether he comes and gets me or I leave this planet in some other way, I know that he's good and I'm gonna experience his goodness forever. And I'm gonna join the angels and I'm gonna sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You're good. You're unlike anything else because he's worthy of it. And I can rejoice always. That's why Paul wrote in Philippians 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. The the center of our joy never changes. Paul's sitting in a prison. I can say rejoice always. I got air conditioning on me right now. I'm wearing clothes I want to wear. I'm going home and I got a meal waiting for me, right? I got a meal waiting for me, right? I got beautiful kids. They're all healthy. They're in the nursery. You can go see them. There's a little admission fee, but but you can go see them. They're beautiful. I got a great family. I got a great church. I got a job. I actually got a tax return. You know what I'm talking about? I can easily say rejoice. You know what? My kids get sick. When there's tension in my marriage, maybe I don't have a church. You know what doesn't change? God doesn't change. He's good now. He's been good. He is good. He'll always be good. So I can rejoice always because I know He's always with me and I know He's always good. I want to close with this um, with this quote. There's a third century man who's anticipating death, and he, he penned these last words to a friend. I've, I've read this quote before, but um, it always makes an impact on me. Hopefully it will for you. He said, it's a bad world. 
an incredibly bad world. But I've discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who've learned a great secret. They found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They're despised, persecuted, but they care not. They're masters of their souls. They've overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I am one of them. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that um, you've called me to joy. (laughs) We think all the time, like, you call me to heaven, and that's true, fantastic, thank you. You called me to sonship, and that's true, fantastic, thank you. But what's waiting in that sonship? What's waiting in your presence? What sustains me now? You've called me to joy. To joy always. Rejoice always. So Lord, may we never forget your presence. May we be in constant communion with you, knowing that, you know what? When I'm at work, you're with me. You know, when, when, I'm, when I'm at home, you're with me. When I go get my oil change, you're with me. When I have a fender bender, you're with me. When I'm in the hospital, you're with me. You're with me. Nothing can change that. So Lord, may we resist our pride, resist the enemy. May we fight it and plan against it to protect our communion with you. May we not only enjoy your presence always, but may we no longer resist your fellowship. May we embrace it. Lord, also, I, it's, it's, uh, it's a great thing to have constant presence. It'd be terrifying, though, if you weren't good. It'd be terrifying if, if I didn't know you were good. But Lord, we know you're good. You're always good. When times are good, you're good. When times are rough, you're good. And you're working them all together for our good. So, Lord, thank you for that, for that hope. <sighs> Lord, I want to ask two things. I want to ask for the believers in this room as, as um, we sing this song to you, that you would remind us of your presence, remind us of your goodness. And, Lord, just overflow our hearts with joy. And may we worship. I want to ask something else, Lord, for those in this room that they haven't experienced that joy before. They don't know if you're always with them. They don't don't know if they're truly following you. They're still living like, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Lord, would you um, speak to them now and let them know that they can have joy always. You You can be theirs. They can always have your presence. They can be your child now and forever. They can experience your goodness now and forever. All they have to do is surrender. All they have to do is say, you know what, God? I don't want to live for me anymore. I want to live for you. I want your forgiveness. I want to trust you to save me. Not something I'm doing. I want to trust you to save me. I want to follow you now with my life. Lord, would you give them the courage to to pray that prayer? To talk to you and to tell you the truth? 
So Lord, we thank you for this time. We ask that you would move however you'd like to move as we sing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us and sing? And I want to invite you to respond to however the Lord's calling you to respond. Christians, maybe some of you uh, need to uh, kneel in worship. Maybe some of you need to come forward and pray. Uh, I don't know. Maybe some of you in this room, you're the other people that we prayed for. Maybe you don't know God. You don't know his goodness. You don't know that peace and that joy. Why don't you come forward? I'd love to share it with you. I'd love for you to surrender to him today. And know that you're forgiven now and forever. So you respond however the Lord uh, leads you to respond in this time. Let's sing.